to all my heavy hitters and lockdown defenders. Welcome to the Lockdown Divas Podcast, episode 100. We're back in the building, man, each and every Thursday, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, on all your popular platforms you get your podcast from. I am your host, Coach Defense. We have hit the milestone of 100 episodes, ladies and gentlemen. We have hit the milestone of 100 episodes, man. I'm telling you, man. Yeah. It has been a grind. It's been rewarding. It has definitely taken turns from episode one to 100. It's been uh, a clear-cut progression. And like I said before, and I'll say it again, we're just getting started, man. It is ordained. It is not a game. We're here for a reason. To bring you this news and views of the sports world of NBA and NFL alike, man. Understand that I am very excited about this episode, but understand one thing, that uh, some people may not agree well, about this podcast and what episode 100 is going to bring to you today. They might not, but it's time to stand on principle. It's time to tell the truth about some things. And it's time for some uh, honest and truth mo- truthful moments to tell people exactly what they need to hear and what not what they want to hear. So we're going to get real today. We're going to get real today. We're going to talk about Kyrie Irving and his situation, his suspension. We're going to get into that. We're going to talk about Ben Simmons. Uh, in his uh, latest uh, issue with the Nets organization and his uh, commitment to the team, we'll talk about that. And then we'll get into a segment called uh, What Should They Do? Uh, we have a few teams that are in purgatory, in, in a sense, in regards to uh, how they're functioning and how they're playing and where their roster is constructed at this moment. And what can they do to honestly and truly improve themselves? We'll talk about that. Then we'll flip over to the NFL. We're going to do the cover four again this week. We're going to break out our best four games of the week, and we'll break those down in short order. And then we'll get into a segment called uh, Are They Dangerous? We'll talk about uh, uh, four teams that I feel like uh, we need to discuss that are winning right now. And if the playoffs were to start today, they will be in it. And uh, and I'll give, a, I guess you can say, a meter or a dangerous level meter on how I feel these teams can progress towards making the playoffs and ultimately reaching that top goal and maybe winning the Super Bowl or getting to it at least. Um we also talk about Jeff Saturday, um, his win on Sunday and uh, what they did for Victory Monday and what we think about the coaching hire. We're going to talk about that. And then for the, for the special episode of 100, we're bringing back for the record. We're going to bring back for the record this week, and we're going to talk about a segment. I'm just going to title. I'm not going to even explain it right here in the intro. You got to listen to it. It's called Let's Just Say What It Is. We're going to talk about that in short order today, and we're going to talk about that, and I'm here to tell you, you don't want to miss that part. For the record, has always been, let's be honest here. If you have listening to my podcast, For the Record has always been a real and controversial segment. And this is no different in that regard. I'm here to tell you right now, it's no different. It might be the best one. I'm just here to preface that by telling you that. As we get through with that, we'll finish up with a full quarter closeout. We'll give out awards for Breakout Player of the Week, Lockdown Defender of the Week, and Big Dummy of the Week. So stay tuned for that, man. So as always, let's get into who's the news, man. Let's do it. So let's talk who's in the news. And as I prefaced in the intro, this is the truth episode. We're going to tell some truth today here uh, in short order, man. Um, It just has to be said. I am at my limit of playing nice. I understand that, you know, maybe some politicians need to take this into account that it's time to tell people the truth, hold them accountable, and and understand that you're not going to, honestly truly accept the idea of them brushing you aside and and not addressing and not holding not being held accountable to the truth and and the consequences of those truths all those truths and those uh you know true moments so 
we're going to tell the truth here today, man. Um, and best way we know how, as far as NBA and NFL segments are concerned. And as you know, who's in the news is always starts off with the NBA. So we will get into, uh, we're going to talk about it. So we're going to start off with Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons popped up on my feed, popped up in my, in my news uh, a feed this week, uh, in, I believe it was yesterday, in regards to uh, his um, questionable behavior. And I say questionable behavior, and I use those words um, in preface to what the Nets are saying about him at this moment. So they are basically saying that they are questioning his uh, commitment to basketball and uh, whether or not he really wants to play basketball, I'm assuming, or do he's really deeply committed to the sport, you know, to be, uh, you know, a, a upper, upper movement of a $30 million, you know, uh, perennial franchise level co- uh, player, but not be committed in, in, in acting as if or moving as if he is that particular type of player. Um, so, you know, they have some questions, and I'm not sure if this is used just to motivate him in regards to trying to get him to play better, or they're just flat out having issues and they just put it out in the public because they need, they're tired of, you know, being quiet about it. You know, kind of like what I'm doing. I'm tired of being quiet about certain things. So I'm going to air it out here right now, right here, right now. So understand this, you know, I've been critical of Ben Simmons for, for quite some time. I'm, you know, I'm not shying away from that. I've been crit- critical of uh, Ben Simmons and Kyrie. We're speaking of the Nets and we'll talk about Kyrie Irving in a minute, but Ben Simmons, you know, has uh, you know a, a checkered past when it comes down it's short, you know, in a short time frame in the NBA that he's that he's been in there. He's had not been in there, you know, fifteen years. He's been in there a short amount of time. He's still in his, you know, mid twenties. So, you know, in that short time frame, it's been marred with a lot of controversy. You know, honesty. So, then give a, just to give a quick history on it. You know, he has had these. You know, and it started back, you know, once he, almost like three years ago now to the point where he was with the 76ers and, um, you know, he pretty much fell apart in the playoffs, you know, what most people equated to him falling apart, you know, and uh, not being uh, a factor or uh, much of a factor in helping the 76ers get over the hump and getting there, getting to the ultimate goal to get into the NBA Finals, right? So ever since then, he's had a myriad of issues. He's had injuries uh, to his back and other parts of his body that's been that's, that's been uh, hampered him and uh, keeping him from playing. Um, he's had mental health issues. Uh, somebody would equate to he just have an overall lack of confidence. He's lost his confidence. Uh, so you know all those combined has you know resulted in Ben not playing a lot of basketball in the last year and a year and a half, right? So in a year and a half, I mean, count a year for full season last year, he pretty much didn't play. Uh, but you know. And then he started this season, but he started off slow. So where we're at now is that, you know, with the organization committing, you know, basically accusing him of of his commitment level of bas- to basketball, you know, that's a, that's a big red flag. So so what do you do when it comes down to Ben Simmons, the amount of money you're paying him, and uh, the idea that you need to get more out of him than what you're getting? So, you know, is it? Is it going to the media and, and they're airing the dirty laundry and telling him, telling people that they, you know, questioned his uh his ability to want to play basketball? Is he just here for the ride? He really doesn't care about the idea that he wants to be a a, a dominant basketball player. You know, all questions you have to, you know, only you only Ben really knows the answer to those questions. Let's be honest about it. So, where where were we? Where are we at in this particular uh situation? So. And again, I say I've been critical of Ben Simmons about about the way he's conducted himself. 
uh, in the last two years, especially, right? You know, wondering, you know, would he ever, you know, improve in a sense, you know, between the ability to shoot lack thereof, ability to shoot free throws lack thereof, um, ability to now at this point even want to shoot the ball, you know, in large space. I mean, he just even, he is, it's almost like he's allergic, so he don't want to touch it. You know, which is a staunch difference between seeing him play pickup basketball when there's nothing on the line versus playing a pro game where he just refuses to do anything offensively. So we ask ourselves, you know, how do we get here? And and I and I equated to, you know, breaking down what's really wrong with Ben Simmons at this moment. Um, I think Ben Simmons lacks the uh mental toughness and mental fortitude that a normal uh, 20, I want to say 26 year at this point, 26 year old, uh, African American man should have at this particular point in time in his life. I think he lacks the mental toughness. Um, I think the lifestyle he's led up to this point, um, in his childhood and his early college days were, uh, enabling, uh, his, uh, coddled lifestyle, to be honest with you. I, I feel like they, uh, were the type of people that surrounded Ben were, the very overprotective type. Now, and if you ever been around, you know, privileged uh, children uh, and privileged parents, in a sense, you know that there are parents out there that, you know, highly overprotect their children. Uh, they coddle them, they baby them, they, you know, tell them everything they want to hear and don't never ever uh, give them the right tools, the right uh, uh, lessons to, you know, help them be a successful and independent adult. You know, it's a, it's very it's a very toxic thing that these parents do to these kids. It, it really is, uh, and I'm very highly against it. I think that your your job and your ability as a parent is to uh, prepare them to be an upstanding and in, in completely hundred percent independent person, and you give them the tools and the lessons and the discipline. You know, and I'm not just talking. You know, I'm not talking physical discipline. I'm just talking about you know just straight. Uh, mental fortitude and discipline to be able to operate in that manner. So I say all that to say that I feel like that Ben Simmons has people around him and people that have been uh, brought him to this point of his life have failed him. I really do. They, I feel like they failed him in, in large space. I feel like they have uh, given him all the things that he wanted and seeing that he was this golden child prodigy type of talent that he was always going to be a, a, a perennial, uh, uh, all-star level basketball players. So they basically, you know, I guess you can say bubble wrapped him, um, you know, philosophically in a sense where they would uh, try to protect him and, and guard him and not let him experience anything that would hurt his, you know, confidence, his, his, his uh, mental uh, state in a sense where he would never have to see anything negative or, or adverse to allow for him to not be able to focus on his ability to be uh, the basketball player that everybody wanted him to be, right? So, you know, and so from that regard, I think that they honestly and truly did him a disservice. I really do. I think that he's not at the maturity level of a, of a, a pro basketball player that is out of his age is at this moment. He's not there. I think that he lacks uh, the ability to take accountability for uh, his actions and where he is mentally. Uh, again, you know, it's really unprecedented to see uh, a pro athlete at this stage of his life be honestly and truly this uh, timid and uh, uh, fragile 
um, when it comes down to his ability to be, I'll go back to my term again, mentally tough. You know, because if, quite frankly, if you don't have any mental toughness at all, I mean, even the uh, uh, inkling of it, you will not make it as a pro athlete. And I really think he lacks that. And I think that is very, it's a very fragile thing. I think he tries to endure and, 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 and fight through the idea of who he is and what he needs to be as a pro athlete. But I really think his, his confidence and his mental toughness is very fragile. And it, and it wanes very easily. And that comes with life experience. You know, you don't get mental toughness by people telling you you're, you're going to be mentally tough or telling yourself you can be mentally tough. Mental toughness comes from experience and, and hardship and adversity. So, and I really think that he's been coddled to the level where he's he's never had to experience anything truly deeply adverse and had to fight through it and, and get through it. And that gave him a badge of honor in a sense to say that I can get through pretty much anything that's thrown at me. So that's where we are in, in that regard. I think that's where he is. And I think that's the problem he has, you know, because I've never seen, you know, a pro athlete of his talent level, his age level be this particular, this, this touchy. I mean, it's almost uh very, it's almost uh bored egg, you know, like, you know, he has a slightly tough exterior, but the moment you drop it on the floor, it cracks and it, and it it's everywhere all over the floor. It, it's exposed. It's no longer, it's, it's no longer any good. Very bored egg. It's just not, you know, I'm not saying he's completely soft, but he's, you know, it's, the, the, the outer shell is very fragile and you can peel it away easy. When you drop it, it cracks. Everything else is, is, is pretty much ruined. So I would say that, that that's the problem and the biggest issue that, that Ben Simmons has right now. And this has nothing to do with, I guess you can say, physical ability to play the game. It's all, it's all mental and his lifestyle. I really think that he was too called and overprotected and he was never... Uh, I guess you can say allowed to uh, be uh, faced with any hardships in his life to the point where he could honestly and truly, uh, you know, build, build himself back up from being knocked down, you know? So from that perspective, you know, this goes back to his college days. People said that about him in college, things of that nature. So, and so he gets past this, it, he will never ever get better as a basketball player. So ask yourself what should be done. I think for the for for Ben's own good and everybody's party involved, his family, friends, parents, coaches, owner, governors, you know, agents, whoever is involved deeply in Ben Simmons' life, they need to tell him the truth. They need to tell him the truth and give him something of semblance of what I just gave in 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 definition about what's wrong with him. You need to tell him the truth. And more importantly, after you tell him the truth about where he is and, and how he is and what's wrong with him and why he is going through what he's going through, once he is told it, he needs to own it. He has to own the idea of that he is a broken individual and he's a very fragile individual and he needs to take steps to be able to f figure out a way and a means to own his truth and realize that he needs to make some changes in his life and understand that he needs to figure out for the first time in his life on his own how to fight through this adversity and get back to playing good basketball, you know, and that comes with taking accountability. You have to own the idea that you've been put through this and you, you were, a lot, you were even getting to the point where you were able to be an adult and a lot and make your own decisions. You were, you were, uh, you were being, I guess you can say, for the lack of a better term, I, want, I guess you can say he was um, okay with the idea that people were, uh, being yes men into him and yes women and and things of that nature and, and and he had nothing but enablers around him 
he was okay with it. You know, he was okay with being in that bubble wrap lifestyle. So he has to take accountability for that and start to understand that you need to put people around you that's going to tell you the truth all the time. And that's just what you want to hear because they feel like they got something to lose if they if they lose you as a as a person that that's in their lives financially, especially. So I think that's what that's what he has to do. I really believe that he needs to take accountability, own his truth, take accountability of what he is and, how, and where he is in his life, make changes and make changes because I'm sorry, at this point in life and where you at in the NBA career, you have to do that or retire. That's just, that's just the honest truth about it. It really is. You, you can't keep going on like this and you got your organization questioning you and your commitment to basketball. That's that's to me, that's a dog whistle to say that get your life together and get and play like we expect you to play or we're going to get rid of you. So um, I would do something about it before they do. That's just my advice to Ben Simmons. It really is. So we'll see how things go, but that's my advice and my, and my synopsis about what's wrong with Ben Simmons at this moment. So let's move on to his teammate, Kyrie Irving. Now, I have been critical of Kyrie Irving, like I said, in, in large space. You know, it's some things that he's done and to how he's gone about things, um, they've rubbed me the wrong way. I'm not, gonna, not, not, not backing down from that, not, not, not changing my stance on that at all. I, I said what I said, you know, but I think, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, you know, and I'll, I'll get to the point before I give the, the reasoning or give the, give the synopsis of what was going on with Kyrie right now is that I think that my biggest problem with Kyrie is about how he goes about things. It's not necessarily about what he's trying to accomplish. It's about how he goes about it. You know, it's about delivery. A lot of times, you know, you're talking to a person and you got some bad news to tell them, but how you deliver it in a lot of times, most times, Will will honestly and truly determine how they receive it, you know. Uh, you know, you can tell somebody one of their best and closest family members died, but how you deliver it, it may may soften the blow, you know. So I think that Kyrie's delivery and his way he goes about it has it, been sloppy, has been uh, clumsy, you know. In a sense, you know, he's he's meant well in a lot of regard, but I think that his delivery and his ability, his ways of going about things, have ultimately been my biggest issue with him. You know, I mean, that's aside from the whole, you know, being unavailable and taking time off and allegedly being issued with in the in the locker room towards teammates and coaches. You know, that's aside of that. You know, being you know him his lack of commitment in certain regards to basketball, which rubbed me the wrong way. And I've said that, I've said that. But where we are right now and and where he is up with his uh, particular career is, is troubling for me. And it's not troubling from a sense of how he's playing basketball. It's not because he's playing really good right now. But he's not playing at all at this moment. At this very moment here right now on a Thursday morning, he's not playing basketball. And, and why is that? So before we, you know, I guess you could say deep dive into the idea of, you know, what's going on with Kyrie, right? Let's give a quick background and, and quick history lesson for those who may not be up to date on everything that's going on with Kyrie, right? So, you know, he's been with the Nets. I think we're working on three years, right? Um, him and, you know, well, three, maybe four, because I think he played one year, half a season while KD was hurt. And then he was hurt most of the subsequent season after that when they uh, got uh, James Harden, I want to say. Um, but, yeah, and I believe that was a COVID year. Um, so, you know, regardless, you know, the one of the contentious moments about Kyrie has been his availability, right? Um, you know, he has been 
uh, unavailable because he's taking personal days off. He's taking, uh, you know, social me social uh, injustice days off, which I mean, you know, I, you know, you could argue whether or not that's valid or not. I mean, but you know, it's again, it's about how you go about it. Like, you know, it's, you gotta be able to work both angles, you know, you know, if I, I want to process, you know, you know, and personally, I would try to not miss work intentionally and tell them why I'm missing work. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, again, you, you gotta, you gotta, you have to deliver it in a way where they can accept it. I just, you just, I don't envision me calling my boss and say, Hey, I'm not going to come to work today because I'm going to a black awareness rally. You know, I mean, not that I'm ashamed that I'm going to the rally, but it's just certain things that, you know, he may not receive it in the moment in the way it was intended. I mean, let's just keep it real. You know, I mean, I just say, hey, I'm not coming in today. You know, I'm not feeling well or whatever you want. We've all made excuses and not been valid why we come. We haven't come to work. Let's be real about it. You know, we've all done that. You know, but, you know, but, you know, you just say, you know, hey, I got some business to handle, you know, and, and, and that's necessarily a lie. You got some business to handle and you can't make it in today. You know, I'll see you guys tomorrow. You know, hey, you know, and then that's just what it is. I mean, they don't need to get deep into your life, that kind of thing. So, you know, you know, it's you know, it's it, that that whole thing is again is is it's I'm on the fence with it. I I get why you wanted to be involved, and I do, I do understand it. And I support that you want to be involved with social injustice, but you know, you know, these people are paying a lot of money to play basketball here. It's you got to be able to balance the two. I mean, you can protest. And you can play basketball. I think you can do both. You don't have to take time off from the team. Extend the time off from the team to, you know, work on political people trying to get elected and and social justice rallies and things of that nature. I mean, it's it's a bit it's a time and place for everything. You know, I mean, we all got to work. We all got to survive. We all got to make money. You know, to be able to support our families. Right? You got a family. He's married. You got a kid. You know, so you know, just just like you know, a lot of other people. So, including me. So, you know, you got to make sure that you don't disrupt your, your money flow. Let's just be real about it. You know, you can call it what you want and stand on whatever hill you want to stand on in regards to that. You know, some people feel like the cause is better than, you know, a paycheck. And that's fine. You know, but you still got some people still got to put food on their table. So I don't knock what you do to put food on your table as long as it's just and legal and it doesn't hurt anybody. But, you know, I mean, you got you to gotta pick your battles here. You know, I think there's a time to protest and there's a time to work. So you got to do both, in my opinion. But regardless of all that, and I won't get too deep into those weeds, but, you know, in a sense, you know, that whole issue with his availability and then, you know, he has injury history, his injury history, injury past that's kept him out for stretches, long stretches of time. So, you know, it's it's hard. It was hard pressed to uh, for the Nets just from those particular issues. Right. Um, for them to, uh, you know, honestly, truly be, you know, you know, not to be unconcerned about Kyrie's, you know, long-term future with the team, you know, and so that that came to in ahead, I guess you can say, uh, in the offseason where they didn't offer him a long-term deal, they gave him his player option, he opted into that or or go to free agency, and he opted in, right? So, you know, that quick history, you know, again, you know, like I said, it's it's a bunch of things, you know, it's it's also the issue with this, you know, his attitude towards teammates, like I said. Coaches, you know, his stances on social things, earth is flat, burning sage, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, Kyrie is a, a bit of a hippie black man, you know, he just, you know, he has that vibe and, you know, that kind of thing, you know, peace and love and hey man, a little bit, you know, uh, uh, on certain regards. And then this, you know, then this is contrarian beliefs and, and ideologies that the earth is flat and, and things of that nature. So, you know, 
all of that is a lot to digest as as a as an organization that's paying you thirty some odd million dollars a year to play basketball, right? A lot to digest. It is. Um, so you wrap all that in to his on top of his injuries, concerns, and that nature, his commitment issues, all of those things, right? You wrap all that up, and then you get to present day. Present day. So mind you, there's a I say all of this thing because there's a back history with Kyrie. Now I, that's why I brought all that up. There's a back history. So keep that in mind as I as I get into this next part. So Kyrie now is currently suspended for reposting a video from a documentary that had anti-Semitic tropes in it. And mind you, he did not endorse it. He didn't uh promote it. He didn't say go watch this and and he didn't, you know, quote the tropes that were in this particular documentary, right? Um, and he only posted that to his words. He only posted that to prove a point about the African-American community. Now, I'm on record of saying this. I've said it in sports talk, and I believe I might have said it in my podcast last week, that I believe and wholeheartedly believe that his approach was completely wrong. His approach was completely wrong. That, again, that goes my, my my overarching point about Kyrie and my issues with him. Is that how he goes about things? I think he completely and utterly totally was wrong about the way he approached this particular situation. You know, because his desire was to raise awareness for black marginalized Americans. That was the that was his goal. That was his desire to raise awareness for that. But what I completely disagree with is the fact that he tried to use the struggles of others to promote your own struggle. We should never do that. We should never do that. That's been done to the black community. Let's be real about it. You know, people, you know, marginalize and oppress and, and, and move to the side. The, the oppression is marginalistic. Uh, things have happened to black Americans to promote their own, pr- promote their own uh, agenda, right? So we shouldn't return the favor by doing that to other people. That's just not how we should do business, especially when it's a people that have supported us in large spaces. I mean, the Jewish community has supported the African-American community in a large abundant way and i and i will argue that a lot of the millionaire and billionaire people in the social economic world of that are african-american descent or black and brown in any particular ideology or or discipline right at some point or another they might have had or would have had a jewish community member or jewish community members plural help them along the way to get them into the to break them into the business that they're in. You know, I've seen Russell Simmons, Jay-Z, you know, Puff Daddy, and a bunch of other people that had their circle around the Def Jam, you know, ideology and hip hop, for for instance, for starters, were, were the ones that were uh, helped and aided along by Jewish uh, folks. You know, Russell Simmons is a big advocate of the fact that he got his start and his, his the, a lot of the businesses in the ground he broke as an African-American man were helped greatly by Jewish men and women. So, you know, so to to step on the necks and marginalize and, and to try to use that particular oppressive state that they were in at one particular point in time in history to elevate yourself is not the way you should have gone about it. You should have completely, utterly left that off. Now, whether whatever had that in that documentary prompted you to to post that and to prove a point, you know, whether it it, it equated itself or not, it, it was completely, utterly taken in the wrong way. It really was. It really was completely and utterly taken in the wrong way. And you have to understand how things can be received. When you do things like this in the social media world, especially just the media in general, how you present it, you have to ask yourself, 
how is this going to be received? You can't just do things haphazardly and expect people not to blow, blow back on you based upon how you presented it. It's not presented carefully. It has to be considered, has to be presented carefully and concisely and get to the point that you're trying to prove without being negative. And Kyrie didn't do that. So that's the biggest issue and the problem I had with this whole situation, right? So way he went about it was completely utterly wrong. He did. I, I get the message you were trying to send, but you completely utterly went about it wrong. Now, it was, it was a mistake. It was a mistake. And I'm sure once he was, you know, and I've read that he, once he understood the ramification of what he did, he, he, he was completely and, and utterly apologetic about how he went about it. You know, he didn't back down from his message, which I don't, you know, you shouldn't because you want to raise awareness to the issues that you have that are affecting you as a black American man. Right. However, the way and method you went about it, and, and pushing down or punching down on the Jewish community was not the way to go about it. It just wasn't. So we get to that incident. Now we get to the, to what was the ultimate punishment for this. Like I said, he's suspended currently. He's still suspended to, to right now. There's a, there's a rumor that he could come back this weekend, but however, he's still not playing basketball at this moment. And I was wondering and kind of concerned that he might not play basketball for the next ever again. So, he was suspended for at least five games, which has been more than five. It may be upwards of eight or nine, maybe 10 by the time he actually plays again. Um, suspended for that amount of games. He was given a list of things that he had to uh, complete in order to fulfill the uh, requirements that the, the Nets organization and the NBA have for him in order for him to uh, be in the good graces yet again of the NBA and the Nets organization. Uh, he was also had to meet with the owner of the Nets, Josiah. He also had to meet with the owner, Adam Silver, or the commissioner, excuse me, of Adam Silver of the NBA. So he had to do all of this <laughs> to ultimately and truly be reinstated into doing into be able to do his job again, right? Now, mind you, when you suspend it, this is without pay. So he's not getting paid at this moment, you know, regardless, despite the guarantees he has in his contract and all this good stuff. You know, on top of that, Nike as a company broke their ties in his endorsement with him um, based upon his post, right? So I say all that to say, I give all that information to say that I feel wholeheartedly that this punishment that he was given was completely utterly excessive. Completely utterly excessive. There is no way that he has to get on bending knee and kowtow to the Nets and the, and the NBA this much for the idea of how we, of a, of a social media post. There have been countless people that have tweeted, posted, shot videos of things that are far worse that are legit criminal and racist acts against people. And they haven't been, haven't even broken a fingernail. Haven't had to do anything as far as uh, penance for those actions. But Kyrie had to go through fiery hoops of, of humility to be even considered for reinstatement into the organization. Now, mind you, I will say that his history that I underscored earlier has a lot to do 
with why he's gone going through this with the Nets. Right? I get that. Um the NBA, I don't I don't get as much because they typically try to stay out of these things. It should ultimately, you know, boil down to what the net what the team feels they should do or not do with those particular players and their incidents, right? But the fact that he had to meet with Adam Silver was a red flag for me. Um, you know, and and, I, and honestly, truly, this 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 it speaks to the idea for me of how blacks are being are being made examples out of it of of how not to act. And, and I feel like this sending a message to others like him to not step out of line or the consequences of your actions will be punitive as well. You know, and ask yourselves, where does that type of mindset date back to? Because they move heaven and earth to punish Kyrie Irving. But it's been plenty of people out here, athletes and, and former athletes and, and, you know, public figures that have done and said way worse than what Kyrie ever did. And they were never met. They were never met with any consequences. Never. They've never even people have never even pulled their support, publicly pulled their support from these people. But Kyrie was made to suffer and, and suffer greatly and being brought out to the public square for 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 to show the, the masses about what happens to you if you look like him and you step out of line. Again, people would blatantly on the books has been as have been committed racist and criminal and exploitative acts against black and brown people in, in particular and other minority groups. And they're not held to the same standard. Often nothing he's ever done to these people. That's, 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 that's scary. Actually, you know what? It's, it, it's scary, but it, 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 we should understand it at this point. So ask yourself, no matter who you are, why is that? often it doesn't even come down to race versus race. It's about money and who has more of it and not upsetting that backing. If I'm Kyrie, honestly, and truly, I would quietly facilitate a trade once I'm reinstated. And if I'm not granted that trade or they can't find a suitable trade partner for me, that's going to satisfy the nets to the point where they will agree to move me. I would play out the last year of my deal and I would never deal with the nets ever again in life. I wouldn't. Because I feel like that he's been dragged through the mud unjustly. You know, again, his approach was wrong. His message, I'm I'm okay with. You know, everybody needs to be made aware of black marginalized Americans and their issues. They need to be made aware of it. But the way you went about it was completely and utterly wrong. Don't ever punch down on other people's struggles to make your own more relevant. Never should do that. But yet again, you were made out to be a martyr and, and a pariah and, and, and made to be hang out in a public square to say, hey, if you act like this, this was going to happen to you. And everybody's not held to that standard. Actually, so why that is. So, all right, so let's move on. So uh, let's talk about what should they do, right? The fortune of the Lakers, the 76ers, the Clippers, and the Nets aren't good at the moment. They aren't good. Most of these teams are under 500 or very or barely at 500 or, or maybe a game above it. Um, so the Lakers are in this particular conversation are, are my team, obviously. If people know that, if you follow me at all, if you just not your first time to the podcast, they, you understand that, uh, this team is in very deep, dire need of a makeover, right? Who are definitely in dire need of that. So, 
you have Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis as your biggest assets. Now, we understand that Russell Wilson is not Russell Wilson, but Russell Westbrook, I always get that confused. Uh has is been met with uh resistance as far as people wanting to trade from him because of what he's been and how we how type of play he has been over the course of the last three years. So you met with some resistance and try to trade him for anything uh, of value. LeBron James, as great as of a player, top five player of all time he is, he is a, he's in his 20th year. Anthony Davis is an off-injured, uh, very dominant two-way big man. Um, he's he's a very well-versed offensive and defensive player. Um, a top 75, you know, whether you argue or not, I would think it's controversial, that's up to you. But he's a top 75 player right now at his, at his age in his late 20s. So, you know, those are your biggest assets. Um, and you have to honest, you have to come to the grips with the idea that you have to move one of those pieces in order to improve your roster at this point. Because that's, uh, you know, because Darvin Ham was a fresh new coach. He's not going to be moved. And I don't think moving a coach at this point would fix this problem. It's just the roster that's the issue. So what do you do in order to improve your roster? You have to trade one of those assets. And I said, you know, in, in, in preface of, of all those three that, you know, Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson, Russell Westbrook has been has been met with resistance. Um, I'm not sure if they even consider the idea of trading LeBron, but I think you're, you're only truly uh, eat most logical course actions to trade Anthony Davis at this moment. Uh, he's playing, he's healthy at the moment and he's playing well. So uh, I would make, I would make the best of what you can get for Anthony Davis I would seize the moment and get for the best you and get the best you can get for Anthony Davis at this moment while he's healthy and playing well, because one of those two things wanes if he gets hurt, and or if he starts playing well, stops playing well, the the, the idea of you recouping anything worth worthy of his talent is not going to be there. So, I'm not saying who you should get, but I think that you should definitely consider highly consider trading Anthony Davis for uh, wing defenders, shooters, and a rim protector. And draft picks, for that matter. I will recoup at least three or four of those particular uh, I guess items. As you definitely need three and D wing players, guys that can shoot and play defense on a wing, somebody that can protect the rim, and then maybe potentially highly consider recouping some draft picks because at this point you got to get some talent in a room that's cheap. You know, and it's going to be a three-year project, like I've always alluded to. The fact that most rookies that you draft out of college one year or whatever, the level of how they played uh, amateur ball, they're going to be a project that's going to take two to three years to be able to honestly and truly get acclimated to the NBA game and be effective. So, But then, but you need to invest now because at this point, you only guaranteed draft picks in the later 2000s, 20s. You know, you got pick swaps with 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 the Pelicans for now. So you gotta recoup these picks of some some stretch to either use that for capital for somebody else or actually draft players and develop them. But that's I feel like that's the only way you could get out of the seller of by which you're playing at the moment. Honestly, truly, I would if if you if you were able to do it, just to add a caveat, I would trade A D and uh Russell Westbrook. You know, and because if you can if you can flip, if you can flip the Russell uh, Westbrook for hypothetically Miles Turner and Buddy Hill in 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 pick, let's say pick swaps not draft picks necessarily but we do pick swaps in in those in those later draft picks that you have uh, rights to 
do that and trade Anthony Davis and flip him for a different draft picks in, in her, earlier on in the 2020s, then I feel like that's a win. Uh, you get a rim protector and a, and a score in Miles Turner. You get a three-point, three-knee wing guy and a shooter from and Buddy Hield, and then you go out and get you some more wing defenders and a legit point guard that can facilitate and keep it up. And, don't have, and LeBron has to worry about bringing the ball up all the time, although he will in, in certain stretches of certain cases. He can he a person that can facilitate and shoot. You know, a guy I and mean, clearly he won't be traded for, but a guy like Malcolm Brogdon will be with well, that type of skill set would be perfect for this. He can run off his he, he can score. He can do a little bit of both for you. So you some a combo guard like that. Bring him in. And so you would fit in, you know, you would fit in Hill, Turner, LeBron, the point guard. And I, yeah, I, I mean that four that was four out of five. Lonnie Walker is playing pretty good ball right now. So he can fit in with the fifth guy. I think that's okay. And again, that's, you know, this all depends on who else you recoup from the AD trade. But, you know, again, that's who else you have to, who you deal with. You know, there's been rumors about Draymond Green and all those guys being out there. Now, eh, if you got if you got Draymond Green and Clay out of the deal and send AD to, to, to go to state, that might work. So you're talking LeBron, the point guard, the dual combo point guard. You're getting LeBron, Clay, the point guard. Buddy Hill, Draymond Green, Miles Turner, Lonnie Walker, uh, Schroeder coming off injury, none. That might work. That might work. But you gotta you gotta do some serious overhauling. That's my whole point on this. You gotta do some serious overhauling. That's the only way you get out the gutter. Outside of that, there's a there's a big rumor out there that this particular pick swap that they had with the Pelicans could end up getting them Victor Wombana. Imagine that. That AD trade ultimately landed them Victor Wobana. Because they could have the first pick in the draft. So, I mean, because if they're going the way they're going, I promise you that the moment LeBron breaks that 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 record for scoring and they're not winning, I would if I'm him, I'm going to cruise control and just saving my body for year twenty one and, and hoping and praying and wishing that they fix this roster. Or I'm out. That's that would be my that would be my stance. Now, granted, he's never not finished a contract in his in his tenure in, in NBA, but you got to deeply consider it, man. If you're trying to maximize your, the ability to be competitive between now and the time you retire, so I, I'm sure he wants one more title before he goes, so he'll have five, you know. But uh, he got to you got to overhaul the roster, or go somewhere where you can get one. Just thinking personally for him. So, Lakers, I hope you're listening. Trey Russell and AD. And recoup some good, solid role players around LeBron and get yourself a solid point guard and let's go to work. Let's see what happens. So in the 76ers in a different ballgame, they're they're not winning with or without James Harden. And you got Daryl Morey up in there in the front office who lives in love, man crush love with James Harden, so that's his guy. You know, James Harden has hurt at this moment. They're, they're not playing good ball with or without him. You got you have Joel Embiid scoring 59, 45 to 59 points in back-to-back games in order just for them to be competitive and win basketball games. That's not sustainable. So I feel like the way this roster is currently constructed, you got to make a move. You got to shake something up. I think you do need to do one of two things or both. And to be honest with you, could, both could be in order and, and needed at this moment. Um, but I would start with trading Tobias Harris. I would, um, and I will also deeply consider trading James Harden as well. Although I don't think it will happen, is you know you would have to, you know maybe threaten Daryl Morey's 
children, if he has any, you know, to trade James Harden at this moment. Um, I really think that that he's a piece that you you need to move. I would trade Tobias Harris and you know get what you can get for him and trade James Harden. I think if you package them both up together, you might get a more attractive uh, uh, return. Um, but what I would do, I would go get me a legit facilitating point guard and three and D wings. I would make I would make Ty, Tyree Mac, Tyree Maxey my my point guard my shooting guard excuse me my, with my facilitating point guard. I would get um in my three and D wing guys Embiid and Thibault, and let's see let's let's make it happen. And if this requires a coaching change on on top of that to bring some new blood in here to work with these younger guys, got to move on from Doc too. But I, that's the only thing. That's the only way I feel like this is can this can move the needle. I really feel like this is the only way this moves the needle moves if you do you do those things and get some fresh blood in that organization because they're stagnant right now and they're in purgatory and I don't think they're gonna get out of it unless they make a move. I really do. Because there's no way this team, from a talent perspective, is going to, is is should be at the level of where they're playing at under 500 at this moment. It, it, there's no way. There's no way they shouldn't be playing 500 ball at this moment. They shouldn't be. And they, and they are, and it's sad. It really is. I mean, they're, they're legit. They're legit. Uh, right now, at this moment, they're in the ninth seed. They're not even in the playoff. Aren't they seven to seven. They're seven to seven. That that's that's unacceptable. They won two in a row, but again, those two in a row has been on the back of Embiid's hundred and one. What it hundred and one point output in the last two games. It's not sustainable. Not sustainable. So you got to shake it up. Got to shake it up. So that's what I would do if I'm if I am if I am the. Uh, if I'm the 76 organization right now, that's what I would do. Now, let's talk about the Clippers. Now, I talked last week about Kawhi Leonard and how I feel like he is failing the Clippers organization. And he's their their, their ultimate downfall. Um, so, with that being said, I really feel like they need to move on from Kawhi Leonard um, at this moment. Now, it might, it might, you might need to table it because you might want to be able to get him back on the floor and let people see him play for a little while and feel like that he's shaken and gotten – over the idea of this knee issue, but it, it, it's time to move on from Ka- Kawhi Leonard. It really is. Now, Kawhi is that guy that you need to be as a closer, but he's not reliable, at least for you as a Clippers Clip organization. So if you can convince somebody else to take upon his contract and let him try to work his issues out and make them their guy and you get a recoup a guy that can be in that closer tight role in the exchange, then that's 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 the ultimate goal you should do. But that's hard pressed because I mean closers don't grow on trees. Let's be real. You know, guys like LeBron and and Giannis and Steph Curry, you know, Dame Lillard, you know, guys, you know, guys that can flat out just Jimmy Butler can just close a game out, take a game over fourth quarter, bring it home for us. Donovan Mitchell, bring it home for you. They don't grow on trees. So the idea of you recouping that person in that role is going to be hard. But I think you need to either trade trade away Kawhi for, you know, assets and role players and, and go searching for your next closer. Or you need to figure out a way to, to bring that closer in that you, they can fit your team better and work with the guys that's on your roster, your John Walls, your Paul Georges, your Norman Powell's, you know, um, your um, – your Reggie, uh, Reggie Jacksons, and things of that nature. So, I think it's time to move on from Kawhi Leonard. I really do, and and, and try to recoup a guy that's going to bring in, be, bring leadership into the locker room, and not and not be nonverbal, and 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 be able to be reliable and dependable when it comes down when the game's on the line. Got to have it. 
So the last team I want to discuss is the Nets. The Nets, again, I talked about them in short order. I talked about Kyrie and Ben Simmons already. So they're in there, and they're the exact people that are on my list about who need to be be moved in order for the team to move on. I think it's Trey Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons. Now, it's all contingent upon whether or not Ben Simmons can turn the corner with his issues, right? If he's able to turn the corner with his issues and get back to playing solid basketball, then you move him. But if you can't, nobody's going to want to take him. So you you definitely move and facilitate a trade for Kyrie. But if you can move Ben, fine. If you can't, you figure it out. But again, going back to my original rant about what he needs to do with himself, he has to complete that work first in order to be able to get back to playing good basketball. But what you should move him for is get yourself a facilitating poor guy, somebody can bring the ball up and run the offense so KD can be off the ball and he can, can create and do what he needs to do in half court and get you some 3 and D wing guys in the rim protector. That's what that's something you need. I think Royce O'Neal and those guys are solid, but somebody that can truly put the fear of God in people's hearts when it comes down to them driving the basketball to the hoop. And you need that because you're lacking that in it from a defensive standpoint and perspective. You get that. Now, a guy, a guy that is willing to accept that role, and that's what's going to be his niche, and he's not worried about scoring, and that'll come cheap. 3D wing guys are a premium. But again, you look at it, you got to, you know, broach the guys that are trying to revamp their roster, you know, like Indiana for in, in perspective. They're looking to revamp their roster. They might be willing to do that or something of that nature. And again, get your guy that want to bring the ball up and facilitate the offense and run the offense uh, to the point where he can, uh, you know, basically get out, set the tape, get out of the way, and like KD and, and those guys go to work. Seth Curry, you know, all those guys that can score and put the ball in the basket a high clip, let them do it, do what they do. So that's what I think they should do. Legacy like trade AD. The 76 to trade Tobias Harris and James Harden. The Clippers to move, should move on from Kawhi Leonard. And the Nets to trade Kyrie and Ben and, and move on and revamp their rosters accordingly based upon what they truly, truly need and they're hemorrhaging at at this moment to make them better basketball teams. Outside of that, they're going to be where they're at. Because like I said, right now, the 76 to 77. The Lakers, oh my God, are 3-10. and 10. The Clippers are 8-7. and seven. <laughs> And the Nets are 6-9. and nine. So, yeah. Something has to be done. It really does. If you don't, it's not going to get much better from a, from a record perspective. And at this moment, like I said, the 76ers are are at that ninth seat. They're not even in the playoffs. They're not in the playoffs outright right now. The Nets are in the 12th seed. The, the Lakers are in second to last. And the Clippers are the ninth seed. So I don't see it get much better unless you make a move. You know, sometimes you just got to just – you know, bite the bullet, accept your mistakes, and move on. Don't try to double down on it and try to make it work. Sometimes you just got to move off things. So that's going to wrap up who's in the news, man. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to get back with NFL headlines. This is the Lockdown Davis Podcast. <laughs> Lockdown Davis family, Coach Defense here to announce that the flagship of the Sports Network, the Lockdown Divas Podcast, is now broadcasting each and every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on all your popular platforms you get your podcast from. Giving you week-to-week real, edgy, raw, and unfiltered content of the NBA and NFL. And if you've been listening to me up to this point, it wouldn't be a show without Chargers and Lakers news. So if you're looking for a one-stop shop for sports, look no further than the Lockdown Davis Podcast. As a tribute to fans of the show, if you'd like any questions answered on the show, please send me a message on social media between Friday and Tuesday at 10 p.m. to be eligible on the show. 
On Instagram, I'm Lockdown Defense Sports. On Twitter, I'm Lockdown Defense. So catch me each and every week live on Sports Talk each and every Tuesday, 9 p.m. Standard Time. That's a new day in time for Sports Talk with Coach and Kurt. Catch me Wednesdays on the Wild Wild West podcast at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And, of course, the podcast on Thursdays at 10 a.m. So like, comment, and subscribe to the channels if you have not already because I'm truly here until I get banned. Now back to the show. Headlines. This is the Lockdown Davis Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Defense. Oh man, episode 100 is not disappointing so far, man. The NBA segment was hot and heavy, and we will continue on with that truth, truth serum, those truth bombs that we're gonna drop. This particular episode, episode 100, man, is gonna be a special one. I'm here to tell you. So uh, buckle in and get ready for some more uh, truth serum. We're gonna feed it to you. You know, like Mama used to feed you that 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 uh, that olive oil and that castor oil when you were sick like back in the day. So we're gonna start off with some light. You know, I'm not going I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give you the the real raw um filtered stuff all day every day. We're gonna start off with we're gonna start off with the cover. Get into the cover four. We're gonna do our four best games uh that we thought about this particular uh week. And we it was it was some good ones. It was some definitely some good ones. So um we're gonna get into that first. So let's talk about Let's talk about the Commanders and the Eagles, the Vikings and the Bills, the Cowboys, the Packers, and the Chargers and the 49ers. So we're gonna start with we're gonna let's go. Let's let's start with the top. We'll start at the top. Now, you know, this there's, there's drama in all of these games. Let's just be real about it. So uh the Commanders on Monday night went into Philadelphia. Lincoln Financial Field and completely and utterly executed a completely and utterly flawless game plan against the Philadelphia Eagles and unseated them as being undefeated. They really did. I, I was highly shocked. Turned the game on and I'm getting the trash together, telling my daughter good night, and I'm I'm watching out the corner of my eye and I'm I'm in, in awe of what I'm seeing, right? I mean, I'm completely utter shocked. They're running the ball. Now, I understand that Jordan Davis has been out, and, and they seem to have a big glaring issue with stopping a run without the big man in the middle, right? But <laughs> clearly the commanders didn't care. They came in with the fact that they want to play smash mouth, old school commanders, football team, red skin football, right? And they imposed their will. They really did. Now, we've been used to this particular go-around in this particular season of the Eagles opposing their will on other teams, and, you know, it was interesting because they got out to a 14-7 lead in the first quarter. But the second quarter on, it was all commanders. It really was. They ripped off 13 in the second. 
which gave them a 20 to 14 lead. And they didn't look back. They scored another 12 in the, in the third and fourth quarter. And they end up winning the game 32 to 21. Brian Robinson had 26 carries for 80, 26 carries for 86 yards and a touchdown. Taylor Heineke was 17 to 20, 17 to 29 for 211. He do, did the one pick, but uh, uh, it wasn't you know too punitive. Um, I think he did it early. Uh, Terry McLaurin was eight of reception for 128. So uh, what I'm here to tell you, you know, uh, Jalen Hurts was uncharacteristically reckless and he threw turn two turnovers. Um, yeah, man, it was just a complete utter. Uh, this is my will. This is my game plan. I'm going to execute it, and there's nothing you can do about it. And that's a, and that's what SID treated it. And <laughs> when I say you, Commanders fans were singing and dancing after this victory, like they won the Super Bowl, man. It was so funny. It was so funny. We unseated the 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 favorites in the division and gave them their first loss. So I will say this: that you know, the Commanders, you know, rightfully so, they deserve this victory. But if I'm the Eagles, I, you know, it, it sucks to lose. It really does. But you much rather lose now. They're losing the playoffs. So you just want to get that monkey off your back. The whole idea of going undefeated is overrated. Would you rather be undefeated with no title at the end and, you know, losing the Super Bowl? You know, shout, shout out to New England. Or would you rather be a one one or two loss team and win the Super Bowl? I think I'll take the Super Bowl over everything else, me personally. So I think they still got a great shot at things. They got to correct some issues and, and tighten up some things defensively and not be as reckless on offense. But – you know, shouts out to the Commanders for winning the game, man. I give them all the credit in the world for executing their perfect game plan. Like, you don't see a, a flawless game plan be executed to this degree often. So I got to give them kudos for doing that. So shouts out to them. Let's talk about the Vikings and the, and the Bills next. Now, you know, I was scared about this game, you know, for, for twofold. Remember, Josh Allen's one of my fantasy quarterbacks. One, he was hurt, and they didn't know whether or not he was going to play. You know, the Bills are playing cat and mouse with that whole idea whether or not he was going to play, not play. You know, that whole issue with his unilateral uh, ligament issue with his, his throwing arm. Uh, but he suited up. He came out, you know, looked like his normal self. He's throwing the ball around, you know, doesn't seem to be hampered that much. Um, but <laughs> there's one big problem here is that for some reason, and that we laughed and joked about this on Sports Talk on Tuesday, but I'm here to tell you that Josh Allen has a serious addiction to being reckless right now. He is regressing before our very eyes, and I don't like it. I don't like it. And I think what the Bills need to do and need to understand when it comes down to uh, what they need to do with Josh Allen is they need to reel him back in, and how you do that is to start running the ball. Because the reason why you brought out this reckless behavior out of him is because he feels like he has to do it all. We can't run the ball traditionally. That's not been working in his mind. Doesn't mean you can't do it. You just haven't dedicated your time and your efforts to doing it and doing it well for four quarters. Doesn't have to run the ball every play, every down, but you have to establish it and make it a, a, a I guess you can say, um, a, th a thought in the minds of the defense of coordinator and the defensive players. They have to feel like you, you have the ability to do it at some given point in time. If they don't feel like you can do it or will do it, they're just going to, they're just going to play pass coverage and, and, and use their pass heavy defenses every down, you know? So that makes you really deeply one dimensional. And, and it makes me it makes it easy as a defensive coordinator to call defenses, you know? I mean, take a page out of the Chargers game, you know, as I talk before I talk about that, 
uh, Frank Warner, see Frank Warner, Fred Warner's on uh, on record as saying that they pretty much called the same defense in the second half because they knew the Chargers were going to do one thing. I mean, it makes life easy, and they shut them down, shut them down, shut them out completely in the second half. So, again, you have to make them be honest and play balance. You can reel Josh Allen back in by running the ball, taking the pressure off of him. He can feel confident in the idea that he can have a running game to lean on. So he don't have to throw the ball all over the yard and force throws and try to make plays with his legs, which can ultimately get him hurt, or have to force throws to make plays and try to score touchdowns when he should just be making the proper play. Like, you know, if I can give LeBron anything from LeBron James, I want to give Josh Allen. LeBron James has the uncanny ability to always want to make the right basketball play. I need Josh Allen to have that same mindset and that same energy. Always want to make the right football play. If the right football play is to throw the ball away and to live the fight another down, you do it. Do it. But until such time that they do those, implement those two ideas, running the ball and make Josh Allen understand that he just needs to make the right football play, they're going to struggle. They're going to struggle. And the idea of the whole we're the Super Bowl favorite conversation is 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 it's got one foot out the door so talking about the games explicitly the vikings you know they went toe-to-toe blow for blow now mind you this one a primetime game so kirk cousins was uh pretty good i mean this is be honest with you they they did they did exactly what i needed the bills to do they did both things well they ran the ball effectively with dalvin cook and they passed the ball effectively with Justin Jefferson, especially. Kirk Cousins was 30 of 50. Kirk Cousins threw the ball 50 times, ladies and gentlemen. Let that sink in. He threw the ball 50 times. Typically, when Kirk Cousins threw the ball 50 times, that's not a good recipe for winning. It's not. He threw the ball 50 times. He completed 30 with 357 yards. Dalvin Cook had a 14 carries for 119 yards and a touchdown. Justin Jefferson had 10 receptions for 193 yards and a touchdown. That's as balanced as you get. Coupled with the idea that that Josh Allen had two ugly turnovers in the red zone, ultimately led them to the victory. So you got an eight and one Vikings team and a six and three hemorrhaging Bills team. Now, mind you, the defense is going to get better, and you're going to get more opportunities to play offense because you're going to get Poirier back, you're going to get Trey White back, you want to get Russo back. You know, Milano's going to get healthier, you know, and and get back from his injury. You know, full strength, full steam. So you're, you know, Von Miller, you know, is going to round out and start to, you know, be that dominant force in the spots that you need him. You know, he has been that thus far, but, you know, without having that, another guy on the other side to take the pressure off, he's getting doubled and chipped a lot. So you got that aspect as well. But regardless of that, the defense will get better and it will play better down the stretch. But you got to fix your offense, Buffalo. You really do. You really do. You know, I'm taking nothing away from the Vikings. They did what they had to do. And they played good ball, and they didn't make the crucial mistakes that the the Bills did. But the Bills should have won this game. But those mistakes that Josh Allen made were costly, and they cost him the victory. Sorry to say. Now, the Cowboys and the Packers. <laughs> didn't see this one happening either. I thought the Cowboys were going to walk over the Packers, but boy, was I wrong. And understand this, uh, Aaron Rodgers owns the Cowboys. I mean, and let's be real about it. He owns them. He's like 6-2 and two or 7-2 against them in the last eight or nine games. So uh, they went into uh, – McCarthy went back to Lambeau for the first time, and he went back to play his old team, and Aaron Rodgers was still there waiting on him. And uh, <laughs> much like uh, 
the uh, the um, Vikings did. They came in with another balanced attack. <laughs> well, honestly, truly, I wouldn't even, well, yeah, I would say balanced attack because they did throw the ball around the yard, so Chris Walsh had a great game. But they came in with the ideology and the mindset. That, actually, I'm going to lean to the commander's example. The commanders were the ones that came in to say that we're going to run the ball. There's nothing you can do about it. And that's what the Packers said. The Packers said, we're going to run the ball. There's nothing you can do about it. And that's what's going to be our mantra. And we're going to run the ball. And we're going to play action pass. And we're going to make you commit to the run so hard that we're just going to throw the ball over your head. And Chris Washington had three touchdowns. <laughs> three touchdowns. Now, mind you, let's look at this. It was tied score 14-14 at half. The Cowboys got up 28-14 to in the third. And they gave it away. Of a Dak Prescott's reckless behavior. <laughs> he was 27 to 46 or 265 with three touchdowns, but two ugly picks. Two ugly picks. CeeDee Lamb had a great game, 11 reception for 150 with two touchdowns and losing effort. But the, 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 again, the, the stat of the day is Aaron Jones, 24 carries, 138 in the touchdown. That hadn't been a thing or of uh, noteworthiness. Up to this point, they haven't ran the ball to this clip yet all year. But the fact that they knew that the Cowboys had issues with stopping the run and they were able to impose their will against them, run the ball, make them overcommit to it. And we, we throw the ball timely passing over your heads after you commit so many bodies to the run game. It was a recipe for disaster. And again, they were up by two scores. And with Dak throwing ugly picks and letting them back in the game, gave them opportunities to score. And that's what they did. They took advantage of it, went to overtime. And kick the field goal to win the game. Mason Crosby breaks the hearts of Cowboys again. <laughs> they are who we thought they were. In the last game, a game that was highly competitive, which I didn't think it was going to be, was the Chargers in the 49ers on Sunday night. Now, mind you, I didn't have a high hopes on my team. I did because we had no receivers. I mean, we lived down to fifth and sixth depth high receivers in practice squad, guys. We're down a running back. We're down. We were down a tight end in the game after the first quarter, so that made us down two tight ends out of the four we have, and we only have four because one of the second tight end has been hurt pretty much the whole season. And Donald Parham, so I didn't have high hopes. I didn't. I really didn't. I thought we did. The 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 uh, 49ers was going to run the ball down our throat, and it was going to be an ugly, uh, embarrassing loss on Sunday Night Football, and we just had to put our heads down and and to say that we wish we were healthy, but. Justin Urban and the Chargers didn't lay down, man. They didn't lay down. Brandon Staley had a great game plan coming into the game on how to match up with the, the, the 49ers, and that's what they did. They led for most of the game. They really did. The only problem is, and this is what I alluded to earlier, is the fact that they didn't score any points in the second half. They scored 16 in the first half and none in the second. And so it was a 16-10 game at the half, and they only gave, they gave up they gave up 12 points in the second half. But again, if you match what you did in production in the, in the first half or even just score one touchdown, you win the game. I mean, you lost the game by five, six. Excuse me. You lost the game by six. You score one touchdown in the second half, you win the game. So it's just a lack of production in the second half when they were basically, you know, the guy that playing man coverage and they just played a soft zone and allowed us to check it down and take away the deep deeper routes and and rally to the football and let those fast linebackers get to Austin Eckler and, and short pass routes to the to the running backs and, and the backup tight ends. It was just a recipe for disaster, man. You just don't have nobody that's a game player, game breaker, a game uh you know, game breaker. You know, that's that's probably the best terminology for it. That was a, gonna be able to put the pressure on the defense in any regard. 
So that was ultimate demise of what the uh, Chargers ultimately did, losing twenty two to sixteen. But you know, I, I'm I, I'm more freaking saying I'm proud of the effort that they put forth. And typically, games like this, when you really badly injured, they get beat bad. It, it was a complete utter, you know, drubbing in in most cases, and this wasn't. You know, the, the Fortnite's come over by, so you could argue the idea where they were rusty a bit. But, um, you know, they ran the ball with Eli Mitchell with uh, 89, 89 yards on 18 carries. Brandon Ayuk had six receptions for 84 yards. Jimmy Garoppolo threw for 240. So, you know, it, it was a pretty solid game. You know, pretty solid game. It wasn't the, you know, you know, because you can see a brow beating that most people thought it was going to be. But I think that, um, you know, it was it's encouraging for the Chargers in the loss that they lost in that manner and they didn't lay down. So I think that was something they can hang their hat on going forward. And the 49ers, to me, I'm gonna talk about them in a minute. They they can be a they can be a dangerous football team if things break right. So let's look out for that. So um yeah, all right. So let's talk about let's talk about a different topic here. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna go back. We're gonna go back to the truth serum. We're gonna bring it back. So next topic on the docket is he was hired. They hired Saturday. He played Sunday, and. He had, a, he had a victory Monday. So, Jeff Saturday was hired as the interim head coach for the Indianapolis Colts as they subsequently fired uh, Frank Wright after, I guess you could say, for lack of a better term, underperforming um, as, a, as the coach this year. They just were, weren't anywhere near the um, where they wanted to be from an offensive perspective when it comes down to uh, what Frank Wright was doing. Now, I, I just don't know. I don't understand how Frank Wright fell off the rails that fast. I don't I don't get it. I'm very puzzled by that because he was a very well-versed uh, offensive coach, one, right? Um, he's had success in, in large spaces in a lot of, uh, in a lot of uh, places, including uh, Indianapolis in, in his past, right? He has, he has been, a, been that guy. He has been that guy. Um, so I just didn't understand the whole idea of him not being able to make this offense move and go, right? Um, and it's still questionable. I still don't understand exactly what um, is the issue with his particular, um, you know, you know, coaching style or, or him not getting the best and brightest out of his team, right? I don't understand it. But he was let go. And what happened from there is, you know, very a very controversial move by the uh, – by the uh, Oh, so I must say, I can't, I can't equate it any other way. I really can't. I can't equate it to being other, other than very, a very controversial move. So they hired Jeff Saturday as the coach, as interim head coach. Now, uh, yeah, I, I, I have a lot of issues with uh, this particular issue, this particular decision, right? I mean, well, honestly, what do you make of it? You know, I mean. You know, I mean, I, I don't, I don't take a lot. I don't take a lot away from him winning his first game. Let me start there. I don't take a lot away from him winning his first game because it's not a big surprise to me. Because I think most interim head coaches, if you look back at the numbers in recent history, they won't. They mostly typically win their first game because other teams don't really know what to expect, right? But once the film starts rolling and adding up, typically, you know, it that changes and it changes for the worse. So the jury's still out on the coach and, and their ability to turn things around with Jeff Saturday as the head coach, right? What's at play here is the message you're sending as an organization. Now let's point it back to why Josh McDaniels balked at the last minute at the idea of being the head coach of this team. Remember that? Maybe that. Remember that? Maybe he saw something that we didn't at the time. 
Maybe he did. Maybe he did. And may, he may have never, never admitted, but I think it might have been some writing on the wall here that he didn't like, right? It might not have just been he just felt like he was ready to win a good situation. He just felt like the writing was on the wall that they just they didn't have it together in the front office, right? So, yeah, that, that, that that's one thing. Let's let's keep that in mind. You know, so in a day and time where people preach hard work and dedication pay off, right? This particular hire is a complete spit in the face to that ideal. Hiring somebody off the street, player or not, Hall of Fame or not, does not eminently qualify you to run an NFL team. Plenty of former players either don't coach or can't coach because it requires a different mindset and level of detail that some don't possess. People that have worked long and hard at coaching their whole entire lives for the opportunity to command their own ship should feel completely and utterly disrespected by this particular decision. They really should. You know, and especially everybody on the staff that Frank Wright had or was under Frank Wright at the time that he got fired. They should feel completely and utterly disrespected by this particular situation and this particular decision. You know, and I would argue that unless that you're desperate for a job, you know, and people that are good at their job, they're great at the job, they're never desperate to find a, a place of employment. I would think, and I would argue that this is not the type of place that you would consider working at at this point. I don't think people consider working at in, in, for the NAS Colts as the first or second or third option. I think there's a, I think there's a really bad precedent that Jim Mercer is setting. You know, and um, and frankly, honestly, and truly, if it doesn't end well for this uh for this particular uh decision, I won't feel sorry for him or the coach organization to be honest with you. Because yet again, you are definitely rebuking the idea that people that work hard, put in the time, the blood, sweat, and tears, the effort, the time away from their families. Because I mean, let's be honest. If you don't understand the level of commitment it takes to be an NFL coach, you're truly underselling the idea of why this is so damaging. Because people literally miss time, moments, and and big chunks of their family lives in particular to be NFL coaches. You know, you want to you, you want to browbeat or or talk about Tom Brady and his itch, issue with his wife and not staying home with his kids, right? You know, people that are critical of him for that. NFL coaches was much more, much worse of a commitment than a player is. Because, you know, just give a, a broad stroke of what how things break down, right? Coaches are the first ones in the building. They're the first ones. I, I harken back to the interview with Mike Tomlin. Well, Mike Tomlin is has been in the building and had at least one or two cups of coffee and is standing at the entrance waiting on the players to arrive when they get there. Because he wants to gauge the temperature of how his players are feeling that day. So he's been up, crack of dawn, and been in the building and had one or two cups of coffee, been in his office, maybe watched a little of the film or done some paperwork by the time players even get there. So you practice, you meet, you watch film. Players go home to their families or their whoever, or just go home, period. You know, after maybe they work out or lift or do some, you know, extra work on the field with their with their with their teammates. The coaches are still there. The coaches are typically there hours upon hours after they go home. A coach can put in 18 to 20 hours a day in certain cases during the season. Especially when you're in season playing games. That's a deep commitment, man. 
And a guy that's never ever done that in life or doesn't know what that life is like or that experience is like gets hired as the coach over everybody that's been doing that particular uh, level, that particular amount of commitment and hours up to this point or been doing it for years. They've dedicated their whole lives to coaching. Some guys never played the game of football, but they or have the ability to play the game of football. They've coached all their lives. They've been a, a scout, a ball boy. They come up through the ranks, scout, ball boy, uh, a field uh, field assistant, you know, assistant to the uh, position coach, position coach, uh, you know, run game or pass game coordinator, or, you know, then actual coordinator, you know, they get to that level. Only to ultimately be asked at some point in their career to be head coaches. all Dedicate their whole lives to it. And you walk in one day thinking that you might have a shot or the ability to, you know, be considered for this job. And somebody walks right past you as a former player and they're named the head coach. It's completely disrespectful, man. It really is. And there's more to this particular situation. And I'm going to talk about it for the record that, that people need to be ready for because it's deeper than just the idea of just flat out overlooking qualified coaches for the job. It's way more deeper than that. But if I'm a person of dedicated my life and my time and my, and my, and my livelihood to coaching, then I feel completely utterly disrespected. You might as well just walked up to me and slapped me in the face because that's it's, it's disrespectful. It really is. All right, so let's talk about another segment called Are They Dangerous? So we talked about the 49ers and the Vikings earlier on, and um, I'm going to add the Dolphins and the Giants to this list here. Um, and we're going to talk about are they dangerous? And and what if they are dangerous into the idea of getting uh, to the playoffs, making a deep run of playoffs, and maybe making a Super Bowl, we're going to discuss why or why not. So we did a couple for earlier, so now let's talk about uh, are they dangerous? So the 49ers, to start off with them. I really believe the 49ers, yes, they are dangerous. For these particular points, they have a solid defense, solid. They're a little bit sketchy at the corner position. They got Tredavious Ward, but that second and third corner spot is a little sketchy. They took some injuries. Uh, but Emmanuel Mosley went down, Jason Verrett went down. So they got some backups there, but Tredavious Ward being the number one corner helps that cause. And having a great pass rush, you don't have, a, have to have a lead secondary to hold up long. And with great cover linebackers on top of that, it makes it even easier to get things done. So that solid defense is going to be something that we're going to talk about going forward. And I think they might be their number one ranked defense in the totality throughout the league right now. So that's a winning formula to to win to get to a Super Bowl. It really is. On top of the fact, they have a great running game offensively. Like Shanahan's run game and having Christian McCaffrey as a weapon. Now, you look at it like this. In the run game, you got Christian McCaffrey uh, returning Eli Mitchell. Two-headed monster from a running perspective. Got that. In the passing game, you got Debo Sandy, who's a combo weapon. He's just a weapon. He's just a running back, wide receiver, you name it. Jet sweep guy, whatever you want to use him. He's a Swiss Army knife. Brandon Ayuk was coming to his own as being a dominant outside receiver. And on top of that, in the middle, you got George Kittle, who hadn't even really, really been featured or targeted that much this year. So he's probably fresh in this moment. So the moment you start utilizing him is going to be even more pressure on a, on a defense. So Kittle is just waiting on the weeks for a breakout game. And that could, you know, lend to the idea that he could be really dominant and really a headache for people down the stretch making this playoff run. On top of the fact that they got great coaching. D'Amico Ryan is a is a is a is a, a lethal defensive coordinator. And we all know who Cal Shanahan is as an offensive play caller. And, and a leader of men. He he is that guy. 
They've been to the Super Bowl already. How large with his staff? You know, some guys have moved on. Mike McDaniel and, and Sala and those guys have moved on. But he, he replaced them with guys that just just as worthy. So they've got all the pieces to, to say they're really solid and dangerous team. You know, so with the Eagles having chicks in their armor at this moment, right, we're going to talk about the Vikings and what they bring. The Buccaneers are floundering. We don't know what the Seattle Seahawks or the, or the Rams are going to be or not be at this moment. It's wide open, man. It's wide open. The Cowboys have issues with the run game. So the 49ers have the recipe to beat all those teams at this moment. They do. Especially if you got to play in, a, in their stadium versus, you know, them going away. But I don't even think that's a, that's even a, a detriment because they've gone on the road before and beaten Dallas and, and beaten Philly and beaten, you know, teams that, you know, that that uh, have home field advantage and it didn't matter to them. So I'm telling you, man, the 49ers might be the most dangerous team on this list to start the list off. It really might be. Now, for the Vikings, I really think it's pending. I'm not sure if they're dangerous or not because I honestly and truly think that they have, as, as, a, as a positive, they have a better office of coaching staff. Uh, I think that I think their, their office of uh, head coach is definitely uh, a breath of fresh air for uh, Justin Jefferson and company's development and their utilization. But my problem has and always will be Kirk Cousins. He really is a make you break it for them. I mean, if he can continue to play well, and and let's be honest here, primetime games are playoff games. Like there's no there's no way to hide. There's no way to run to baby. There's no way to hide when it comes to the playoff games. They're all primetime. Everybody's watching. It's a solo game, so the whole world sees you. So unless Kirk Cousins can debunk that myth that he has not been good in prime time, then they will ultimately truly make the playoffs most likely because they only got one loss at this moment at, at the halfway mark. You know, they're, they're 9-1, I believe. So 8-1, 9-1, somewhere around that. So, yeah, I would like to believe, unless they completely, completely flounder and lose every game from here on out, they're going to make the playoffs. Likely win the division. But the idea of them playing good in prime time is the question. So it's got to be pinned. I can't hitch my wagon to them being dangerous because, again, they can make the playoffs and be 16-1. And guess what? They get to the first wildcard game, or the, or they could be the one seed. We don't know. I mean, you know, they they got this between them and the Eagles. It might be here, maybe or maybe not at this point. You know, if, they, if they're the one seed, they get a week off, they're rusty, they're playing at home prime time. Guess what? Kirk Cousins has a completely utterly – Shit show over game, and guess what? They lose. Can't put my can't can't put my chips on them. Just can't do it. If Kirk Cousins wins one playoff game for me, then I then I will put the dangerous tag on him. I would because I like the way they balance the balance their offense. They got a great running game with Dalvin, but it's not it's not one dimensional. They got a great passing game with one of the best receivers in the league with Justin Jefferson. Thielen on the outside. They got Hawkinson now. That's a great addition for them. So that all of this is lethal. Great O line. Great tight end, great O-line. Cogs is a great combo tight end. He can run block and he can pass catch, pass catch really well. They've got weapons. So it's not the it's not the weapons, it's the quarterback. It's ultimately going to make or break them as far as them how far they go. The Dolphins, still pinning for me as well. I think they have a, a ridiculously explosive offense. And that's not void of anybody or anything. The offense is explosive. They got two nuclear Fast weapons. This is like playing Madden back in the day and having two 99 receive, speed receivers on the outside and a 95 speed running back in the backfield. Because Raheem Rosa can flat out run and Tyreek and Jalen Waddle can flat out fly. So the idea of trying to keep up with them is a problem. So they're just killing people 
from a speed perspective. Like, you know, you just have to be able to scheme up and figure out a way to hang on and 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 keep and keep yourself in the game in certain regards because they just run past you. And, and on top of the fact that Mike McDaniel, who I give all the credit to for the team's success, is a is turned out to be a great Shanahan disciple and taking a page out of that book and being and taking that scheme and that philosophy over to them and implementing it flawlessly. But the running game and the pass game is just as lethal as well uh, as the other. They kill you with the running game, or he most is having a career year, and so is Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. So, and I hadn't even talked about guys like Mike Isicki, who you know is actually the odd man out in certain regards because he there's just not enough football to go around. You know, with the numbers they had Waddle and the, and the Hill are putting up, so. Great offense, explosive offense, great coaching. But the only caveat that I have to give for this team is why it's still pending is their inexperience in the playoffs. Nobody on this team that's outside of Tyreek Hill has any experience in the playoffs. So any good experience, let me put it that way. <laughs> any good experience. And they got Bradley Chubb on defense as well, so that adds to their pass rush. So that's going to make them even more of a problem. And and I have to say, you know, it, it pains me to say this, but they are dangerous um, on paper, but the playoffs are a different animal and it's one and done. It's a lot of pressure. So if they have to go on the road and face a, a, a team like Kansas city, you know, or, or, or a team like the Ravens in Baltimore when it's cold, right? Cause they're a warm weather team. Now if they have to go on the road at any particular point in time and play in the elements, right? Play in the way loud stadium, ruckus, a lot of pressure on them that ultimately can truly derail your chances of being uh, making a run in the playoffs. That's the only thing that's really holding them back at this moment outside of injuries, of course. So I think that's the one thing that we have to say they're pending still. So last team's the Giants. Giants are doing extremely well as right now, and nobody predicted this at all. Brian Dayball is doing an excellent job coaching. I would say him and Mike McDaniel right now, my, just my, my one and two picks for coach of the year. And whoever finishes with a better record will have to get the award because I don't I can't choose right now. They're both doing great jobs. They're both doing great jobs. Equally, equally great jobs. So they got great coaching. And they got a great defense. Got offensive minded head coach, but you got a great defense on top of that, which was built before you got here. And you just implemented it and, and making it flourish, right? So you got two great things working for you, but you got one caveat. And it's a better, it's a big, even bigger problem than the Vikings have, and that's Daniel Jones. Because at some point in some some part of this particular uh, run, you're going to run into a team that's going to make it difficult to you, for you to use Saquon the way you use Saquon right now, and you're going to they're going to make you have to throw the ball, make Daniel Jones beat them, right? That's going to be your problem. If Daniel Jones can't beat you throwing the ball, that's going to be your Achilles heel. You might make the playoffs as a wild card. You might have to play uh, on the road uh, in any particular given point. And depending on who you match up with the first week, you might skate by, but it's going to be one team. Let's look at the 49ers hypothetically or the Eagles that is going to make you one dimensional and do their, their best in, uh, impression of trying to take away Saquon out of this offense. And what they're going to ultimately do is say, Daniel Jones, only way you're going to win is if you beat us with your arm. And if they can't do that, they're going to get sent home. So that's why it's pending for them as well. But 
I like what all, all these teams are doing at this particular stretch in time. And these, none of these teams I had on the radar, especially the Giants and the and the and the Dolphins, um, I didn't have on my radar as being this good at this moment in time. So I definitely give credit where credit is due as far as their coaching being excellent and their uh, success that they're having. So, and I think it will continue ultimately. So we'll see. We'll see what things shake out. So, all right. So that's going to wrap up uh, NFL headlines. Stay tuned for the highly anticipated for the record. It is the Lockdown Davis podcast. back to for the record this is the lockdown davis podcast i'm your host coach defense episode 100 has not disappointed man and i'm going to tell you right now it's only going to get hot and heavier i'm going to go to tell i'm going to tell you that once it is so uh get ready for this one because uh it's going to be a controversial topic it's going to be a lot of truth and a lot of revelation in this particular topic and it needs to be said it needs to be said so I'm going to preface this particular segment by calling it what it is. And let's just say what it is. So talking about Kyrie Irving and uh, Ben Simmons earlier on in the show brought me to this segment, right? It, it, it brought me here. And um, I talked about Jeff Saturday earlier as well. And, um, and how that coaching hire uh, should be met with a really, really sour taste in people's mouths in regards to how they should feel about the decision, right? Now, you can wrap them right around the whole idea or, or just jump on the train to say it's only an interim tag and he may not be the coach next year, this, that, and the third. But the message was set, and it was set loud and clear to me that – you know, that Jim Ursay is not going to do things by normal means. And if I'm a coach of any ilk, any ethnicity, ethnicity, I should, I should feel disrespected completely. But if I'm a black African-American or minority coach in this league, I should feel the ultimate level of disrespect. I mean, we're talking, you know, I quit the ultimate level of disrespect is spitting on people. And that's a spit in my face. If you're a, a person that's been coaching and giving your time and your energy into coaching for years, and you know, a la Reggie Wayne or in this particular case, he's been on that staff for a year for a few years, I would feel completely utterly disrespected. Like Jim Burry say walked up to me and spit in my face. Because the issue is, and it's, it has been for a long good time, and this doesn't even apply just to coaching, but it applies to life, is that 
you know, when it comes down to people of color, black and brown people getting opportunities in coaching and in the world, right? You know, when asked about why there's a lack of diversity in your organization, you know, be it football or whatever, you know, we get always get these smoke and mirrors about the reasoning behind certain things. You know, why you're not hiring people of, as head coaches or even in certain cases, even play calling coordinators, offensive coordinators specifically, right? You know, because people argued all day whether or not Brian Dayball was actually calling the plays. So Andy Reid had to flat out come out and say that, and, that Eric Bienemy calls the plays. You know, I might consult and we might collaborate, but I called the plays. He calls the plays. Eric Bienemy calls the plays. He had to say that. Like, you know, that doesn't, you know, you don't get those kind of questions with other coaches in the league. You just don't. So, yet again, you get all the smoke and mirrors about why, you know, they they haven't done the uh, the hiring uh, of qualified, overqualified uh, black head coaches, black and brown head coaches in the league, right? You know, they cite reasons of resume and as uh, you know, and duties as reasons why uh, those particular uh, uh, particular uh, people haven't been selected, right? But then when you say that, okay, well, so was such and such and so and so meet those requirements. So why were they uh, in in a running or selected for the job? You know, that's when they move the goalposts. So another reason, another smoke and mirror reason as to why they uh, won't hire black and brown coaches as head head as head positions, right? So yet again, you know, let, let you know again. Let's let you know if to, to put it plain, let me quit it to the example of a person that you know well that owes you money, right? Mind you, this person has no means or intentions of paying you back, right? But they always give you these excuses to keep you on off their back. That's what that's what the NFL and most people in society do when they have issues of diversity in their organization. You know, they, they have no intentions of paying you, no means or no intentions of paying you back or hiring you. They just give you... Uh, excuses or or unjust reasons why they they don't do it or they are not going to do it or you or you got passed over for the job you know so let's just put a play let's just say what it is the reality is that there's still racism in hiring all over the world and that's just culture there's bias in who you want to be seen as the face of your of your organization and your franchise head coach and quarterback in some cases for some franchises some franchises just still refuse to to have uh, a, a black or brown quarterback as their as their as their quarterback. You know, it's been better options for certain people in certain cities and certain organizations, but they still lean to the idea of having the Caucasian quarterback as as their guy, no matter how mediocre he is. They just they just rather have a a, a person of of Caucasian descent as their quarterback. That's that's not conjecture. That's fact. That's fact. So why is that? Well, let's look at it this way. Almost half the country in the last presidential election voted for a candidate that has been largely deemed to support white supremacy. That tells you what? That no matter how progressive we've gotten as a country, the root of this country still supports the idea of the greater than and the less than when it comes to race. And that manifests itself into how people support and interact and sponsor sports. Now, deep in the trenches of the NFL franchise, or NFL franchises for that matter, uh, plural, they're sponsored by guys that support a racist agenda. 
And no matter what particular owner's personal views are as a businessman, they have to capitulate to these large sums of money that these bases are are giving in there and their and the money that they're giving these organizations and in the in the, in the cause they're endorsing. That's what that's what it what it what it breaks down to. That's really what it is. You know. So as I'm sticking this large check in the owner's pocket as 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 one of these uh pundits, right? You know, and it's we're talking an extremely high dollar amount. We're talking about more dollars than any player would garner as as a salary or bring into the organization or players for that matter. You can bring in five Patrick Mahomes and and ten Josh Allen's, and guess what? These these checks still don't add up. You know, I mean, let's just give a let's give a, a play example. I'm not saying this is the case, but I'm just giving an example of a transaction that could equate to this. A company whose board has a certain ideology and stigma wrapped around it is offering you three hundred and fifty million dollars to your team change the name of your stadium to their company name in support of your franchise and i'm going to give you this 350 million dollars as payment for that change one and two i'm not only going to give you the 350 million dollars which which will be which will come in more and deeper dollars down the line from my organization and the people i introduce you to that's going to invest in your organization as well which could be even in totality which could be even larger something the amount of money they paid to change the name of the stadium you know, as an owner, as a businessman, how can you say no to that? But what comes with that particular ideology or that particular, I guess you can say, bag of money, it comes it comes with uh, certain ideals and certain principles that these people hold, right? And things they want to see that are at face value for your franchise, right? So you have to understand that, you know, it's just too much money to ignore no matter what your personal views are. Now, granted, I do believe that certain, you know, owners in the NFL have those support and, 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 and defend those ideologies. There are, there was guys, you know, I mean, I don't have proof, but you know, there's a lot of writing on the wall here that some guys do, but even if they don't, you know, you just, you just can't ignore the, the overall price tag that comes with this particular, organization you just can't turn it away because what you end up doing typically if you turn that away and stand on principle right you ultimately turn away that and a bunch of other people that would would and are donating money and sponsoring your 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 business right i mean this is why organizations get sold for 700 million dollars and they balloon to 5 billion it's not because they you know they they generate ticket sales and revenue it's because these businesses are supporting them in a high, we're talking way higher dollar amounts than any NFL player will ever make in life. So again, you, you at that point, you just, they have to capitulate to that particular price tag. They just do. If they want to run a successful business, because it would not only, and not only shuns you from that, from that initial paycheck and that initial check, but it shuns you away from larger ones down the line. So again, you have to capitulate to it, even if you don't believe in it. That's, that's really what it comes down to, man. It really does. You know, so understanding those certain things come with it, like I said. And you need certain, and they need to see certain people on TV that represent my money when it comes to people that's investing in it. That's how they feel. So, again, whether you're seeing owner supports ideology himself or not, what they do support, and they always support, is the color green. 
Let's just be real about it. They always will support the color green. You know, above black, white, brown, whatever. They support the color green. So, 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 so not, so, so we understand this. So not that we can't and not supporting the idea. I'm not, I'm not supporting the idea that, that, that all NFL teams, owners support racist and white supremacist agenda. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying it at all. But what I do believe is that they do, they will kowtow and honor uh, the, the ideals and principles of their biggest investors and their expectations. You know, it, again, it's not, it's not necessarily about pure race and pure, uh, uh, I guess you can say more, uh, or I guess you say how they feel it, what they, how they deem as being the, a dominant or more dominant race or, or they want their race to be supreme. I'm not saying everybody believes in that, but they do believe in the idea of, of making themselves a lot of money. And if the, if the price tag or the, or the particular, uh, uh, stigma that comes with that is having certain expectations, certain people in place. That's what they do. That's what they do. <laughs> that's that's really what it boils down to. And to be honest, I don't know how you combat that idea. You know, <laughs> so the idea, you know, based on the current model, can you change that? Honestly, truly, I don't know. I don't know what the real answer is. You know, it's not as much about black and white, and it's about it's, it's just about the green green dollar, man. It really is. And as the million dollar man said in the early nineties, everybody had a surprise. That's really what it is. Really what it is. So is it going to change? If it ever going to change based on the current model? I doubt it. I doubt it. It's sad to say, and I wish it would change. I really wish people would honestly, truly see the betterment of people in themselves and don't see the idea of color and color being a, a negative or positive, depending on who you're talking to. Um, but yet again, you again going back to those poll numbers, and we're just talking about voting, and not just talking about any particular state or anything. The overall consensus voting of the country, half of it went to the former president. So with that, and how strongly he believes in his, you know, slogan. I'm not even gonna repeat what the slogan is. You know what it is. If you voted for him, you support those particular principles. That tells you exactly how far we haven't come yet, in certain regards. So that being said, you know, it's, it's, it's sad to, to, to have such a defeating, you know, prophecy to be honest, but you know, it's, it's really hard to fight the green dollar when it comes to people who want to make money and have upward movement and be richer than rich. And if I can become rich at the, at the expense of having, certain coaches in my organization then that's what they do man it's not i'm not sitting here and, and defending it at all i'm just telling you what the truth is i'm just telling you what the truth is because if you be honest with yourself and you look at things from a blind eye perspective you didn't see the person you just close your eyes and you let them walk in and speak to their experience there's a lot more black and brown people that will be chosen for jobs. And I'm going a step further. Let's just do blind resume. Let's put up a lot of black and brown coaches. You know, high prime example. Let's put up Mike Tomlin's, Brian Flores's, you know, and uh, Eric Bieniemy's resume up against, you know, some other counterparts that have been hired. Nathaniel Hackett, hypothetically, right? Mike McDaniel. Although I think Mike McDaniel is a great coach. Let's put his resume up against those guys. It doesn't, it doesn't stack up. 
it doesn't stack up. And if I gave you those resumes with no name, just credentials, and you had to choose your candidate based upon experience and and uh and overall coaching um uh, I guess you can say uh what's the word I'm looking for? Coaching um ex- you coach experience and accolades, right? You know, because at that, in that in that particular qualification, in those particular names, I named two of them I got Super Bowls. Right? If you just went off strictly, you know, accomplishments, strictly off, strictly off accomplishments and experience, nine times out of 10, maybe 10 out of 10, you know, Brian Dayball, I'm sorry, not Brian Dayball, but Brian Flores, funny, that's Bill, Bill, Bill Belichick made that mistake too. Uh, Brian uh, Flores, Mike Tomlin, and Eric Bietemi get a job 10 out of 10. Just all blind resume. But, the fact that we don't use that particular ideology or that particular uh, practice when hiring people, this is, this is why we're in the level we're in. And it's so deeply rooted in how you look and, and how you are uh, presented in front of others that have certain principles and ideologies in mind when they spend their dollars will ultimately truly drive the idea of who's ultimately going to be hired as coaches for most organizations. You know, and then just to drive over point, Let's look at, let's look at, I mean, because we can't honestly truly give anybody but the Steelers any credit for hiring and, and retaining a black coach for any long period of time. The Pittsburgh Steelers is a re- really run organization by the Rooneys. It really is. And ironically enough, the Rooney rule for diversity is named after them. But let's be real. They are rich. They are filthy rich. They're way more rich than probably any of us will probably see in our lifetimes. But they're not as rich as some other owners. Their net worth for that franchise isn't as high as others. And let's 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 drill into why and what it's supported by. Because I'm sure that uh some investors that certain teams get, the Roonies can't get because of who their coach is. Who they hire. You know, and they don't have issues with uh people of color and diversity in their organization. They don't have that issue. So subsequently they don't get them levels of money in their organization that others will get because they don't they don't support their principles, you know, and they probably vote differently too. So that plays into it as well. So I think that 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 is definitely uh, a sticking point for them, and they will never exceedingly uh, be abundant in in high grossing numbers from a franchise perspective because they don't support certain people's ideals and ideologies, and it's run by it's family run. There's no outsiders. You know, to to I get you know, for lack of a better term, corrupt the 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 mindset and and uh and the views of the organization. So, you know, and I think Mike Tomlin has a job as long as he wants. Just keeping it real, but that's what it boils down to. You know, whether you support the ideology yourself or not, and you vote with them or not, even if you don't, and you're willing to accept money from them, they want to see certain things. Uh, represent their money and it's not people of color in large space. Let's just put it plain. So that's my rant. There it is in a nutshell. You know, you might like it, you might hate it. Hell, you might even unsubscribe, but I listen. It is the truth of the matter. It is what it is. And again, I don't have the solutions for it. I don't know exactly what will ever change it or whether it could change in my lifetime, but I do know what the root cause is and it needed to be said. It needed to be said. So, that's going to wrap up for the record, man. Stay tuned for the full quarter closeout. It's the Lockdown Davis Podcast.
Odell back with the fourth quarter closeout. It's the Lockdown Davis Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Defense. Oh, man, episode 100. 100 is in the books, man, and it was a great episode. Controversial, truthful, and I hope people learn something from what we just uh, articulated throughout this show, man. It was a great show, man. Uh, I definitely am proud of what we uh, brought together this particular uh, episode, and um, and I hope people... Uh, in, uh, take it, take those information in in the in the method or the idea by which it was received. So, I uh, hope everybody appreciated uh, the message that I was trying to convey this week. And um, as always, we'll be back next week. As always, Thursdays, uh, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on all your popular platforms. You get your podcast from. So, uh, fourth quarter closeout. As always, man, we're gonna give out awards. Breakout play of the week, lockdown defending week, and big dummy week, so, man. Let's do it. All right, so Patrick Mahomes is on the list this week. Uh, he had another uh, stellar uh, performance uh, going against the Jaguars. He was 26-35. He threw for 331 yards and four touchdowns, so shout-out to Patrick Mahomes. Jonathan Taylor had a resurgence under Jeff Saturday, and he ran over the Raiders uh, for 22 attempts for 147 yards and a touchdown himself. And Justin Jefferson brought it home for the Vikings as well. Uh, to, to, uh, off the arm of Kirk Cousins with 10 receptions for 193 yards and a touchdown himself. So, man, so Patrick Mahomes, Jonathan Taylor, and Justin Jefferson get the breakout players of the week. Lockdown defender of the week is one Frankie Louvi. Uh, he, he's a Panthers linebacker. He had In the Thursday night game, he had eight solo tackles, four assists, 12 total tackles, two sacks, two tackles flaws, and a quarterback hit. So he was all over the field and in short order um, for the Panthers on Thursday night. And the other guy, Patrick Peterson, who had two game-clinching and – game-changing interceptions against Josh Allen in the Vikings game against the Bills this week, past week. Three solo tackles, assists, four total tackles, two pass breakouts, but the two biggest plays of the game was his interceptions. He intercepted the ball that took away points in the, in the uh, second half, and he intercepted him at the end of the game uh, in the, uh, overtime to take away points and get them off the field and get the Vikings the win. So, to, jo- to Patrick Mahomes, Jonathan Taylor, Justin Jefferson, and uh, Frankie Louvi and Patrick Peterson, you get our awards for Breakout Player of the Week and Lockdown Defender of the Week. And Big Dummy of the Week. Those two, yet again, to have, as we articulated earlier on, to the coach organization and the NFL owners in my For the Record segment that also even truly refuse to hire qualified and overly qualified minority coaches for jobs for reasons of just, you know, strictly utter bias and and kowtowing to donors and and and, uh, and sponsors. So, to those owners that are doing that and support those ideologies and those and that rhetoric, if you support a holding, you vote with them. You're on that list. And the people that refuse to hire minority coaches because it's going to hurt your money, and you refuse to stand up for people of minority descent, you're in that company too. So, so all those people in that in that boat of, uh, in that in that, in, I guess you can say in that boat that's going to be in that particular mindset and never change, you get a big dummy of the week award. You big dummy. So that's gonna wrap it up, man. Another great episode. Like I said, one-on-one will be back next week. As always, check out Sports Talk with Coach and Kurt each and every Tuesday, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time uh, on my YouTube channel and all public platforms get your podcast from. The replay for that goes live on Wednesday morning at 11 a.m. Wild Wild West Podcast, 7.30 Eastern Standard Time on my YouTube channel as well. 
uh, the Wild West Podcast, AFC West Podcast. I'm the Chargers representative of that. Very good show. And always like the Davis Podcast on Thursdays, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So the meantime, between time, I'm your man, Coach Defense. Until next week, step up and lock it down.